All right, so we've been in uh, a new study. We just started it. Uh, do we have the, the slide for the study? Yeah, there it is. Okay, so the relationship status. This is what we're calling our study. You know, you, you may be in a relationship. You may be single. I happen to be married. Some of you have complications, right? Besties, you got the friend zone, and, and then, you know, Zach's not even here tonight. But, but normally, Zach's just here for the fellowship. That's, that's his catchphrase. And so um, we're missing Zach. We're missing his fellowship. But we, we talked last week about how, man, relationships are, are something we've been built for. Right? There's something that we need. God knows that, that we need one another. We need friends. We need camaraderie. We need all kinds of different relationships in our lives. And if you go through life solo... And you're missing out. It's, it's not how it was designed. It's not how it was intended. Um, the first man, Adam, was all alone, and God said, that's not good. That's, that's not the way I want this to be. All right, and so the plan from the beginning has been you know, to reproduce many, many people, to have community, to have relationships. And, and we saw last week how those relationships, they push, or they push, they push and pull us different directions, right? We make decisions based upon how others feel or how we think others feel or how they're going to perceive us if we do something or don't do something. And man, that can be an awesome thing. We can provoke one another unto love or we can provoke to anger, right? We can, we can pull people toward Christ or we can push them away. We can be a good solid friend or we can be somebody that, that is a, a massive discouragement. And so those magnetic pushes and pulls are what relationships do to us. And so we, we talked about figuring out, okay, who do we got to be with Christ so that I can be a positive push and pull in other people's lives, okay? And so that was last week, and tonight, uh, the title of the message is, is Finding the One, all right? We're not talking about dating yet. That's, that's not tonight. Uh, you'll see what we're talking about in, in just a few minutes. How many of you have a favorite quote or a favorite saying? A couple of you. Don't pay attention to quotes and sayings, that's fine. How many of you enjoy quotes and sayings, whether you have a favorite one or not? That's, that's better, okay. Some, some class cooperation, participation, that's good. Uh, how many of you have a favorite Bible verse? I'm not going to put you on the spot and have you recite it, unless you want, want to, you can. How many of you have a hard time picking a favorite Bible verse because they're just all so good? Ethan is, Ethan is the only one spiritual in here. He loves all the Bible. He doesn't love just one verse. Good job, Ethan. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more like Ethan, not because I'm spiritual, but I'm indecisive. I can't figure out which one is my favorite at which time. But life keeps changing, doesn't it? And, and so your favorite might be more applicable. That was a hard word to say. Applicable to whatever you're going through at a certain time, right? You may be going through family pressure, and there's, there's some verse that just really helps you through that, that at that time is your favorite. Uh, maybe, you know, some, some people have a life verse that's just always been something they turn back to. Uh, maybe, you know, my, I know my wife, she sees things way different than me, um, and she struggles with things different than I do. There's all kinds of, of verses that she's always had that she turns to that are a great encouragement to her. Those verses are, are great for me, but those aren't the things I struggle with. I struggle with totally different things, and so my favorite verses or the verses I turn to are something totally different. Have you ever wondered what, what Jesus' favorite verse was, or is? If you could ask him, it's kind of a weird question, because he is, right, John chapter 1, he is the Word. So what, what's your favorite 
versus Jesus? Oh, it's me. That's kind of weird, right? Maybe that's not a good question, but you know, there was a guy in the book of Matthew that did ask him that, right? And so if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 22, we're going to look at that verse or that passage here in just a second. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 is where we're going to start. If, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have it up on the screen. You can follow along there. Uh, or you can look at your neighbor's Bible. That's cool, too. Matthew 22, verse 36 says, Master, so this guy, he understands that, that Jesus is the boss. Uh, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. And over in Luke chapter 27, there's kind of a story very similar to this, but it's in reverse roles, where Jesus asked an individual, what's the greatest commandment? And, and this guy says, in verse 27 of Luke chapter 10, he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and all thy mind. So he adds a fourth one, and thy neighbor as thyself. All right, so he's got all the same things. He, he kind of adds an extra one, but if you go to the Old Testament and you look where they're getting this from, from the law, all four of them are there. In some places there's two, in another place there's three, and in another place there's all four of them. So, so this guy's listing it right. All right, so one of the first things I notice if we look back in that, that verse in Matthew is there's a specific order, isn't there? He doesn't just say, what's, what's the greatest commandment? What's the great commandment? Jesus says the first and greatest is this. The second is like unto it, and everything else follows that. There's a specific order. Because we serve a God who is all about creation and design and order, isn't he? Right? He, he's all about structure. Um, God's design is, is why we sp- see a specific order to spiritual growth in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 I'll read through verses 5 through 10 here. It says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be mature. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. There's all kinds of lists in the Bible. This list is in a specific order. There are lists of things you should stay away from, and you should stay away from all of them at every time, in any order, it doesn't matter. There are lists that you're supposed to keep and do, and you do all of them and any of them in any order. This list... Your spiritual growth is in a specific order because God has designed us in a specific way. Right? He's a God of order. He's a God of design. Right? He says to add to virtue knowledge and add to knowledge temperance. So you don't add to virtue temperance. You can't do that. You can't skip one. You've got to add them in order as he's got them listed. Okay? And that's how spiritual growth works. He's a God of order. <clears throat> There's a specific way he wants us to grow. He's designed us a specific way. 
And he knows the order in which we need to do things in order to grow in a healthy way, right? And if we do things in our own order, whatever things those are, you're not going to end up where he designed you to be, are you? Right? If you do things in your order, you're going to end up somewhere else other than where he's designed you to be. And I think I said something important there, so I put it in black on your page. God follow, or follow God's order. We've got blanks to fill out. Follow God's order and you will end up who he wants you to be and where he wants you to be. He understands completely who we are, how we're made, what we need, when we need it, and he's going to put those things out in front of us to follow, isn't he? So if you're like me, you're thinking right now, there's somebody in your life that needs to hear this message, right? I'm always like that. I'm like, oh man, this is good. I know, I know so-and-so better be hearing this, right? I hope he's listening. I hope she's listening. I hope she, she's, she's hearing what, what the pastor's saying tonight. So before we get any further, let's go ahead and ask God to, to talk to me, each one of you, right? Make sure that God's talking to you and not through you to somebody else. Let's, let's just ask him to speak to our hearts, okay? Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're always grateful that, that you care enough to speak to us. Uh, you care enough to give us instruction and correction. Um, you give us direction, and, and we need it. Lord, I pray that tonight uh, we would understand how to find the one and how to focus on you and how to, uh, to walk with you uh, more closely. I pray that you guide us and speak directly to each of us individually. Uh, we love you, and we commit uh, that whatever you want to tell us, whatever you want to show us, wherever you want us to go, that's, that's what we're going to do, and that's where we're going to go. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so go ahead and, and grab in your Bibles, if you're turning to them, go, go to Matthew chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 3. So one hand, you get Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start there. We're going to turn to Genesis 3, and then we're going to come back to Matthew 6 in a little bit after that. I'll let you get those. And if you have another hand, you can start filling out the first point for study is first commandment. We just saw the, the first and great commandment was to love the, love the Lord our God with, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? The first commandment is finding the one. Our first commandment is finding the one, and the one is Jesus Christ. And letter A is, is single focus. The first thing we need to concentrate on is, is being single focused on the one. Who is the one? The one is Jesus Christ. All right? He's the one because of what he did for us on the cross. He sacrificed everything so that, that we could be forgiven. We'll get into that in a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 25, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. 
Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon is money. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of, for your life, what she, you shall eat and what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? All right, so this passage is not about relationships. I, I understand that. I didn't, I didn't turn to the wrong page. It's, it's about what 1 Timothy 6.10 calls the love of money, right? The, the love of money is the root of all evil, is what 1 Timothy tells us. But just like with money, we can put other things in front of God, can't we? And, and just like with money, you don't have to have a lot of it to lust after it. Right? You don't have to have a lot of money to covet after money. You don't have to have a lot of money to be greedy. You don't have to have a relationship to put relationships before God. You can want a relationship so bad that you just don't focus on the right one. You're so focused on the, the one that I'm going to get someday who's going to be my one, promised one, that you miss the one you're supposed to focus on. You miss Christ because you're coveting a relationship more so than you're, you're coveting him. And so I'm not trying to take this out of concept. The, the principle is still the same. You put something in front of God, and, and you're getting things messed up. So let's, let's look at that a little bit different. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What if your treasure isn't treasure? What if your treasure is a person, a relationship? What if your treasure is how people view you? You're not worried about money, but but your main concern is, is the way people look at you and your reputation and how that makes you feel. What if a specific person is your treasure? So let's look at that again. Uh, if we start in verse 21, for where your treasure is, insert your treasure here, whatever it is, whoever it is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, if you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he says, thy whole body shall be full of light. And if we jump down again to verse 24, he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and anything else. You cannot seek wholeheartedly after somebody else and God, is what he's saying. You cannot make God the secondary priority. Because when he said the first and great commandment was to, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second one is everybody else. So if anybody else is the first one, you got it out of order, right? You see that? So again, we're not, we're not following the context, but we're not violating the principle here, so I don't, I don't think I'm in trouble. You put anything or anyone in front of God and that is not a single focus. Anything, anybody. Jesus says it's not single, and he doesn't say the opposite is double. He says the opposite is evil. Well, that's kind of harsh, right? Keep your place in Matthew. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verse 1. This is the story of, of the temptation and the fall of man. We'll try to read through this quick, but when I read quick, I stammer. Do the best we can. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field 
which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So Satan's trying to tempt her. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden of God. God hath, God hath said, here we go, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Right? We saw good and evil just a minute ago. Single focused or, or evil. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They were ashamed so they put on fig leaves and made aprons. So was it really evil to eat fruit out of somebody else's garden? Right? Is that really the evil thing? That, that all, of, all of society and mankind has suffered since these two ate fruit. Is that, is that what it was? No, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says, Love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world. Look, if, if the world or the things that are in the world are your single focus, you're out of focus. Because those are not God. Those are actually in opposition to God. We see it here. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. The world's heading one way. It's heading towards destruction. It's undeniable. This world is not getting better. Technology is getting better. Everything else is going to the garbage, right? Everything is going to the garbage. It's of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. God is eternal. He's heading towards eternity. He wants to bring us with him. Everything of the world is heading the opposite way. Okay, so back to, to Genesis chapter 3 thinking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Verse 6 in Genesis 3 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. Because with wisdom, man, people are going to look at me a certain way, aren't they? If I know stuff, they're going to think, think I'm great. They're going to think wonderful things about me. And that makes my pride feel good. She took of the fruit thereof, all right? So it wasn't eating the fruit that was the problem. It was choosing the lust of the flesh. It was choosing the lust of the eyes. It was choosing, choosing the pride of life over God. It was choosing the world and the things of the world over God. It was taking the single focus off of God, which they had the perfect focus at that point in creation. They had everything set up perfectly. They had a single focus on God. They took their focus off of God, and they put it on the world. And they messed their relationship up and everybody's relationship ever since. Ever since then, we struggle with relationships, don't we? They're all jacked up. <clears throat> Adam and Eve were not single-focused. All right, so back to Matthew chapter 20, or back to chapter 6, verse 22. The light of the eye, or the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, if you're following the first and great commandment. He's saying the whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. 
And then verse 24, no man sh- can serve two masters for he either will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and something that is the opposite of God. The world is heading the opposite of God. You cannot love the things of the world. You cannot love the things that fulfill your flesh and love God at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. They're heading in opposite directions. Jesus says, that's not possible. James calls this being double-minded. And that's letter B. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That means a double-minded man is unstable in all of his relationships. If you aren't single-focused on the Lord, and something else has taken his place in your life, you're unstable. Your relationships are unstable. Your decisions are unstable. You're a mess waiting to happen. Maybe you already happened. Right? James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Being double-minded is being impure. If your mind is impure... Your relationship's going to be impure. You see why it's critical that your single focus must be on Christ first? Because as soon as it strays from him, everything becomes double-minded. Everything becomes unstable. Everything becomes impure, and you start focusing on fulfilling the flesh. You start focusing on following after, world, after what the world says is, is what you should be following after. Titus 2.6 says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Titus has been challenged to, to challenge the young men to be sober-minded. What is the opposite of being sober? It's being intoxicated. It's being under the control of some substance. When you're not single-focused, something else is in control. It's not Christ. Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally-minded is death, but to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Carnally-minded is, is fleshly-minded. It's... It's seeking to fulfill the lusts that your flesh has. Right? We all struggle with those things. And I meant to have blanks on this next one, but, but growing in spiritual maturity only happens with a single mind. And we see that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect. That word perfect means mature. It doesn't mean flawless, it means Mature. Be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. When you're single-minded and single-focused, you're going to hear God say, hey, that's not of me. That's otherwise-minded. So that you can keep making the right decisions. And he's going to mature you through those steps. He's going to help you grow. He's going to help you avoid the things you need to avoid that, that are detrimental to your walk with him. And, and with your relationship with others. Paul calls that other, being otherwise minded. So that brings us to number two, the, the, the second commandment. The first commandment, love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, all of thy soul, all of thy mind, and all of thy strength. And the second commandment is every other relationship. Right? I got a lot of relationships. How do I... How do I know which one to put first? How do I know who gets priority? How do I know when to, to spend time with them? How, how do I give somebody else 
anything, if I've given everything, all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my strength to, to Jesus? Isn't that like, isn't that 100%? Isn't all 100%? How is there anything left for anybody else? I don't know how that works. So letter A is balancing priorities. If the first commandment is, is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, how do I balance all of the other relationships in my life? We talked last week, we need relationships. God created us to have them. So what does everybody else get that's left over? And, and the answer is the same. You put all of your weights on one side of the balance. That's how you balance your other relationships. You still put all of your focus on Christ. And he's going to help you figure all of those other details out. Proverbs 20, verse 23 says, Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord. A false balance is not good. Diverse weights, a false balance is, you know, you go to the, a third world marketplace in the middle of the street and you go up to buy something and they've got a scale sitting there and you want, I guess we would call it a pound, they would measure it in a different in metric system, <laughs> a kilo, thank you, and I want a kilo of chicken, and so they put a weight that says a kilo on there, I don't, I don't know, I've never bought a kilo of chicken, so bear with me, veggies, well, I was in the Philippines, they had chicken heads and all kinds of stuff, anyways, bear with me, Marisa, come on, <laughs> so they put a weight on the scale, one side of the scale that says a kilo, but you don't know, it's got a big hole bored out of the bottom of it. It does not weigh one kilo. They put it on there and they give you less than a kilo of chicken and it balances out. That's a false balance. It's a lie. It's deception. God says that's an abomination. That's the same thing as being double-minded. A false balance is not good. Proverbs 11.1 says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And a just weight can only be one thing. One kilo is only one kilo. It's nothing else. Right? Math is really funny that way. Two plus two is always the same thing. It's, it's one thing. And if we're going to have a just weight and a balance in our life, we're going to have to have a single focus. And that just weight means that you put all of your strength and all of your might and all of your heart and all of your soul on one side of the scale, and that's Jesus. And he balances everything else out. It's just the way it works. It's incredible. It sounds too easy, but it's, it's exactly what he wants us to do. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is that other passage we, we looked at one verse from. He says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord, thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Christ answering him, and he said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. And then verse 29 says, but he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, and, and, and just let's just take a pause here. Anytime you feel like in a relationship you need to justify yourself, red flags ought to be going up. Self-defense only is, is a cool thing in Taekwondo, right? Self-defense, defending yourself, coming to your own rescue is not a part of biblical Christianity. 
Christ never calls you to stand up and take a stand for yourself and demand justice. He never, ever calls us to that. So when you're doing that in any relationship, I want some red flags to go up in your head and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Dang it, I'm probably wrong. Shoot. I don't want to be wrong. She's wrong too. He's wrong too. You're wrong. And you need to own your wrong. You need to own up to it, don't you? So anyways, back to the passage. Willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? All right, so he, he gets the answer right, but he doesn't want to love who Jesus wants him to love. He wants an out. <laughs> Jesus answering said, and, and by the way, every time you want to justify yourself, you're going to get an answer like this from Christ. He said, who is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now, which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. And so if you don't know what a Samaritan is, this is just a cool story about a nice guy. But a Samaritan to a Jewish lawyer is a hated man, right? A Samaritan was a half-Jew and the Jews despised them and they avoided them. But the neighbor who loved him was a Samaritan, somebody he wasn't supposed to love back. If the sh shoes were on the other feet, if, if the roles were switched, and the Samaritan was on the ground, he'd probably spit on him and keep walking. Right? They, they despised each other. So you're supposed to love others who society tells you you're not supposed to love. You're supposed to love others who it's difficult to love. And look how he loved him. He said, he, he gave him his own beast. He, he rode on it. He took him to a hotel or an inn and said, whatever you spend on him, above and beyond what I've spent today, I'll come back and pay, pay for it. I'm going to take care of him like I would take care of myself. I'm going to love him as myself. Right? Isn't that the second commandment? He says, and thy neighbor as thyself. Well, thy neighbor is anybody who God says is your neighbor. Anybody who he crosses paths with you. That, that's your neighbor. So how do I know who to love and how to love and what to give? Ephesians 6, 5 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as unto Christ. There's, there's some servants and some masters down on Mill Avenue that don't love each other very much right now. 
Great all's on strike, right? You can't drive down Mill Avenue. It's blocked off. Did they open it? Either way, they're still on strike. And, and, and they, they're not loving each other. They're not serving one another. It says to, to serve your master in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So how do you love other people when, when you're putting all your focus on one side of the scale, you're putting all your heart and mind, soul, and strength into Jesus, you love people the same way. But I don't have anything left. No, no, no. You get to show Jesus how you love him by loving other people. You prove to Jesus how much you love him because he puts hurting people in front of you, and you get a chance to love them as you love yourself because you love him first. He gives you the energy. He gives you the desire. He breaks your heart for broken people. He said, look, man, this guy's in front of you. I know that everybody else around you hates this guy, but he's in front of you. And you said you love me. What are you going to do? Well, I do love you, Lord. Then, then love him. That's the answer. When you put all of your focus on one side of the scale, God balances the rest. He takes care of that. Colossians 3.22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Because I love God and I fear God and I put all my effort on Him, I'm going to love people. Because God loves people. And if I truly love Him, then I love people. And if I want to sacrifice for God, the only way I can do it, most of the time, is to sacrifice for people. Letter B, God gives you balance. God gives balance. Matthew 22, verse 40, it says, this is, we read this at the beginning, on these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Have you ever read through the Bible and thought, how in the world am I going to keep track of all this stuff? There's a lot of lists there's a lot of things I'm supposed to stay away from. There's a lot of things I'm, I'm supposed to do. I know I've got to keep reading it, right? And I'll remember more the more I go through it. But, but how am I supposed to remember it all? Put all your love, strength, mind, heart, all of it, put it all on Jesus, and everything else hangs off of that. There's a lot of grace when you put everything in Christ. You forget something? He's okay with that. He'll remind you. He remembers all the law and the prophets. It's okay. There's a, a weird story in Genesis chapter 20 where Abraham and Sarah are traveling and they're coming to a town and Abraham says, hey, look, um, when we get to the town, let's, let's tell them you're my sister so that they don't murder me. Okay, it's weird, but that's what they do. And when they get to town, this is my sister. Well, the king in the town says, okay, I, I think she's really pretty, and so I'm going to take her and not murder Abraham. So the plan's working, right? This weird plan, okay? Um, we get to chapter 20, verse 5. It says, she said he not unto me. She is my sister. So he's found out later. God's told him, hey, this is, this is someone's wife, and I will kill you if you touch her, <laughs> right? So the guy's freaking out. He says, Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she, even her, she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. 
Okay, this wicked king, this, this godless king, was legitimately innocent in his actions, and he had integrity. And so he's, he's banking on that integrity, crying out to the God of the universe, who has already said, I'm on Abraham's side. And he says, please don't kill me, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of these charges, all right? And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, and I know thou did this, didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. I didn't allow you to touch her. You know there's an incredible amount of grace when there's integrity in your life. When you are single focused on the Lord, man, he takes care of a lot of stuff, doesn't he? He just takes care of the details. I, I don't know if I was talking in the Ephesians class last week, um, or if it was in here, but you know, a friend of mine always said, watching people get saved, it's, it's so awesome because they get this massive dose of common sense. Right? They stop doing things to, to damage themselves, and they stop doing things to take advantage of others, and they, and they just put their focus on Christ, and, and all of those bad decisions go away because they're focused on the right thing. Man, he just, he just takes care of a lot of stuff, doesn't he? If you have integrity, God will protect you from mistakes. If you put all your focus on the right side of the balance, he takes care of the other side. 2 Corinthians 1.12, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, word, or toward you. This word simplicity is also translated single or singleness in Scripture. It's the same Greek word. We saw that word in Ephesians 6.5 and Colossians 3.22 earlier. So what was the testimony of their conscience? As Paul calls it here, he says the testimony of their conscience. What, what was inside of them, the confidence, was in their hearts that they had simplicity. They had a single heart toward God. And he says they also had godly sincerity. And that word conversation, we've talked about this before, it's, it's your lifestyle, right? It's, it's, it's the things that your lifestyle communicates. It's the things that, that are in your heart, the things that you believe, the things that you place your faith in, those things become words and those things become actions, don't they? You act upon what you believe. You speak upon what you believe. Out of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Scripture tells us. So your life, that's why conversation is what your life is speaking to everybody. Because your words are speaking and your actions are speaking. That's why it's called conversation. So what was it that they communicated to the world, more specifically to the believers in Corinth? He says it was their single focus and their love for Christ that God turned into a love for the lost, and Paul says more abundantly a love for the believers in Christ. Their single focus on Christ, God transitioned it, God balanced it out, God took care of putting people in front of them, giving them opportunities to sacrifice themselves and what they had and their energy to invest in other people. God took care of balancing that out. 
All they had to do was put on display, man, I love God. Here's a person. Oh, I love that guy too. And he says, more abundantly, a love for the believers in Christ. We're going to wrap up. There's a few more verses. So maybe you're saying, okay, that, just, that sounds too simple. Couldn't possibly work. It just couldn't be that easy, right? If I just ignore everything and, and just love Jesus, all my troubles go away. Right? The, the man asked a question to Jesus, what was the great commandment? And he had an answer. He has an answer for that as well. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear, this is Paul talking, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's the same word again. The singleness that is in Christ. A corrupt mind is not single. There is great simplicity in Christ. It's one of the most amazing things about the gospel and about a relationship with him. When you don't know what to do, you know what to do. You turn your focus to him. You pour your heart out to him. You put your strength and your mind and your soul on him. You beg him to turn off the distractions. You beg him to turn off all the expectations that everybody else has for you or your feeling that they have for you, whether they do or not. You just beg him to turn it all off. You pour out whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he turns and gives you simplicity and clarity and peace. What a trade-off. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. This doesn't just work here in Corinth. This is how Christ works in the church. Hebrews 5.9 says, In being made perfect, mature, this one, he actually is perfect because it's talking about Christ. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of salvation. Eternal salvation. So he says, to, to all them that obey him, obey what? The first and great commandment, that's what. Right? The, the Bible tells us if we love him, we love him because he first loved us. We only understand love because he put it on display to us in the first place. And if you don't know Jesus that way tonight, man, we can help you out. We can explain the rest of that story. We can explain how you can get in on and understand how to have a single focus on Jesus. We can explain the details of how he forgave you for your sins. He forgave me for my sins. Our sin demands a payment, a consequence. And Jesus took that consequence on our behalf. Took it to the cross, took it to the grave, and rose victorious over all of it. And Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us if we believe that, and we believe that he's Lord, we confess that he's Lord, that, that we shall be saved. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. John three sixteen and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And 
I love verse 17 just as much. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And you want to have a single focus on Christ, you've got to start there. You've got to start by crying out to him as Lord and recognizing that he is the only way to God. He is the only way to eternity and salvation. Hebrews 12, 2, he's not the author of confusion. He's the author of eternal salvation. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He finished the payment. He did everything necessary for us to be forgiven. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you understand what he had to endure? I don't, I don't fully understand it. I don't understand the shame that he despised, that he took on himself for me. But he says, for the joy that was set before him. The joy was not just that whoever chooses him is going to worship him, and he's going to be getting the glory due his name. And he is going to be getting the glory due his name. The joy set before him was you. And it was me. He loves us enough to take on that shame and to endure that cross. So if, if we can figure out how to single focus on him, all of our energy, all of our strength, the relationships in our lives, and they're going to be healthy relationships. He's going to balance out the weird stuff He's going to balance out what's difficult. He's going to keep you focused. He's going to give you discernment. But as soon as you look away, as soon as you start chasing the wrong thing, stuff gets weird and difficult, and you start making bad decisions. You start fulfilling the flesh. You've got to turn back. You've got to get your single focus back. You've got to get it on Christ. You've got to get in his word. You've got to find out what he has to say. You've got to beg for help, and he's there, and he will give it to you. He promised. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll do one more song. Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you that it really is that simple. That if we could just turn to you and trust you with everything that we are and everything that we have, you take care of the details. That's an incredible promise. We don't deserve any of that, but like you said, you, you love us. For the joy set before you, you endured the shame. You endured the cross. You, you despised the shame, but you endured it. You went through all of that because you love us. Lord, we do love you in return, and we pray that tonight was glorifying to you. We pray that the words that we sing in this song are, are from our hearts to you, and that you receive glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.